This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. How do I? I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 no. You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this and cue the organist. You see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. <laughs> Greetings all who gather here and welcome to Season 3 of Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, and even if it ain't, I must inform you that this is Episode 26, also known as the Season 3 Premiere. My name is Pete. And this is Paul. And I'm Dave. Boy, am I glad to be back, fellas. I've been busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. But more about me later. What did you guys do during the hiatus? Oh, whoa, roll, roll that back. One-legged man in a butt-kicking contest? Pretty busy guy. Yes. Yeah. That's a visual. <laughs> I, need to, I need to process that for just a second. Wow. Okay. He falls down a lot. I they call him Mr. Pogo Stick. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Dude, I I traveled I traveled through I did a road trip that involved thirteen states from Illinois down to Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska, and Iowa. I've been everywhere, was, man. I, man I've I'll been tell you, I, I spent I spent my birthday at uh in the Grand Canyon. Uh, I saw both. I don't, I don't know if you guys have heard of Meow Wolf, uh, the interactive art installation uh, that was funded by um, George R. R. Martin. That started down in Santa Fe. Hmm, no, it's it's astonishing. It is a story. It is an art presentation, interactive, immersive, uh, a story in 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 a huge building. Um, God, I can't even begin to describe it, but it was mind-blowing. I saw the one in Santa Fe, and then they just opened up a new one in Denver, and I got there. The road trip took me around to Denver just in time to catch the soft opening of that. Uh, How's that so, Meow, as in cat noises, and wolf, as in alpha. Oh, wow. Because meow. a couple years ago, I came up with a fake uh, pet food brand called Meow Wolf. <laughs> and is M M E W M E O W O O F Meow Wolf, and it was for both cats and dogs. <laughs> there you go, the 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 omni the omni food, yes. indeed. <laughs> no, these guys these guys uh, they basically approached George R. R. Martin years ago. So we had this great idea, but we need to buy this bowling alley, and we need yeah. five million dollars. And George R. R. Martin says, "Yeah, sure, here you go." And and I they I'm gonna have they, it on me. <laughs> yeah, right, because he's George R. R. Martin. Um, but seriously, you walk into this thing and it's, you, you walk in, in the Santa Fe one, you walk in and there's a house and there's a mailbox. You can open the mailbox and read the mail and you start getting drawn into the story that the whole installation is telling. Oh. Uh, and you go in and you walk up on the porch and then here's the living room and yada, yada. And there's something on the TV. Everything ties in in some way, shape or form to the story. And you could crawl through the fireplace and there's 
you're in another dimension where there's this skeletal mastodon with the neon lights. And it was just astonishing. I, I allocated like two hours thinking that would be enough. I was wrong. I was <laughs> so wrong. I could have spent all day there. I was the so, same way yeah. with the Smithsonian Institution. I said, well, we'll just spend a couple hours here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me get in the door. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. So. So, yeah, it was a it was an incredible road trip. Touch base with all kinds of friends uh, and family and people that I'd never met other than virtually. Uh, I got to actually meet them in, in, in the flesh, which was awesome. So, yeah, it was an amazing road trip. Just amazing. It really sounds great. Uh, and and I, I enjoyed your pictures that you posted daily. So I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. That was, I was yeah, living vicariously on. through your through your trip. Very you, nice. You got that right. <laughs> How about you, Paul? Uh, nothing. No, I'm kidding. Nothing? Nothing, really. I work, uh, I just, work every day. Yeah, just working, just working. No, and, um, I've, I've done you know a bunch of other radio dramas, just little bit pieces here and there. But um, on one of them, on uh, uh, Dream Realm Enterprises, I am now their new Doctor Who, which I, I think is kind of cool. Although That's very cool. The weird awesome. thing is, he's got me doing it in my voice. I, I hate my dig voice. your voice, Paul. That's why I use you. In I was going to say, you, you are on a show. Voice. Nobody else sounds like Paul Arbisi. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Now, that I can believe. That I can believe. But not in a good way. I have a hard oh. time believing it in a good way. No, we had but, an American incarnation of the doctor. I think that's very appropriate. That's pretty cool. Yeah, too, I'm, so. I'm having a blast so far. Um, and also there is another website out there, another, uh, audio drama out there that I was just looking around one day. I'm like, oh, I've never listened to this one. I started listening to it. It's called Madison on the air. And it's this girl who does makeup tutorials and some kind of science happens and she gets <laughs> stuck inside old time radio shows. And so they get like an old time radio script and they replace one of the characters with her and so she speaks like she would speak as like a, a millennial type thing. And it works out really funny, but it's still really good. And so I'm like, I like these. So I just sent her my demo for the hell of it. And so she got back with me, and I've been in the last three of hers. All right. And <laughs> well, I've heard, Paul, you're I've becoming heard my go-to guy. I've heard of that huh? show, and now I'll have to check it out now that I know. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Well, great. So that's, yeah, that's about it. Okay. What about you, Pete? What have you been doing? Yeah. Well, summer was really busy. When we signed off for uh, s uh, Season 2, I invited every our listeners to join us for Sonic Summerstock, and I, I produced three uh, shows for that. Um, Paul was in one of them. He is uh, 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 Algiers, my, my remake of Lux Radio Theater's Algiers. And then, um, actually only two, and I did that one and an episode of Escape uh, called Derelict. And that was originally set on a ship in the ocean, a stranded ship in the ocean, but I, cha I moved it to outer space. So it became a very cool sci-fi uh, episode. Cool. So all the references to the water became references to space, and, and uh, I think it turned out really well. Um, the, uh, the guy who created Project Audion, the, the monthly... Um, Larry. Larry yeah. Groby, the guy who, yeah. who makes the monthly uh, old-time radio remakes for uh, Facebook Live and YouTube, was in it. He played a, an Australian uh, and did a really good job. And then um, uh, Kareem Cronfley, who's an English actor, uh, oh, yeah, I know played Kareem. 
played a South African character. So that was really, really a good ah. challenge for him. He enjoyed that. And then um, um, I was busy throughout the summer, and then I got busy on um, another festival called Transcontinental Terror on the Mutual Network, and I produced four uh, brand-new episodes of The Cellar, uh, and then a fifth was already done by Rachel Pulliam, and I think uh, Paul knows Rachel. Uh, yeah. She and I have collaborated on a number of things, and, and she won uh, a scriptwriting competition that I had held for The Cellar, and she came in second, and she said not only did she want to um, uh, direct the play, she wanted to produce it. So she cast it, she produced it a, a year ahead of time, and I've been holding on to it. And I'm thinking, okay, there are five weekends in October, and I want to—I only have four original plays to produce. So I asked Rachel if hers could be part of that lineup, and it would, it would get her easily into... You know, because she won a spot in a cellar season, and I just didn't know when that second season was going to start. So with this miniseries, the five-episode miniseries, she jumped at the chance to get her thing released. And it's uh, called Phobias Unlimited, unfortunately shortened to P.U., uh, <laughs> which she laughs about. But uh, um, but it's a very good one. And then my four, I produced uh, throughout... Uh, August and September and October to get them all done and ready. And those came out uh, the, the second through fifth weekends in uh, October for Transcontinental Terror. So um, I you were really busy, busy as now. hell. You yeah. were cranking out some stuff, man. Some serious content. Yeah. Uh, Dude, where can we, is there a link tree where you put post all of this awesome stuff? Yeah, the the majority of my stuff goes out on Mutual, but then I repost it uh, at uh, Moonlight Audio Theater, and that's uh, MoonlightAudioTheater.ca because it's out of Canada. Uh, okay. The theater is R E, not E R. Theater, like theatre. Ah. Theatre. Theatre. Yes, those damn Canadians. <laughs> no, that's that's just people putting their le little pinky finger up when they say theater. That's all that is. <laughs> so it's. Uh, I'm in a shoppy. Shoppy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, really busy, uh, but it's uh, had a lot of fun because uh, with the pandemic, with vaccinations being the way they are, uh, and all of my actor friends are smart and they got vaccinated, uh, they were able to come over and record with me for the most part. And, awesome. Uh, there were only a couple of people who recorded uh, remotely out of state, um, so. The rest of them came in. We had a great time. We caught up on on gossip and and, and <laughs> lives, and it was like the old days when I had people coming over to record. So I really had a great uh, summer and fall. But glad to have you guys back and and yeah. get back to doing this. Absolutely. Uh, that's it. So let's hand it back to Dave. All right. So let's let's get back into the the OTR Essentials groove here, gang. The purpose of our show is to present specific episodes of our favorite old-time radio series. Episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series or as one of those, you know, quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss, either in person or, you know, like we are on social media. We'll open up each episode by introducing the selection, describing it briefly, and then we'll play it for you. Then we'll come back at the end and discuss it at length each of us giving his own opinion on its merits, its performances, or anything that stands out for us. 
and and clearly that's exactly what we're presenting to you just our opinions uh on on whether or not it's representative of that series or if it's worthy of a place in every old-time radio aficionado's personal collection uh, you don't have to agree with us and in fact we we may not and quite often do not agree with each other uh, yeah. but we we hope you'll enjoy what we bring to the table and come back for more. This is where I have to argue with you, Dave, because I don't hope they'll... No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, not lying, wanna... I'm lying. No, no, no. <laughs> of course I do. I do. I do. I disagree with all your disagreeing. That's right. That's uh, right. Now, I'm offended by three... your offensiveness. <laughs> each of us three will take turns selecting a show for discussion. Season two ended with my pick, an episode called Living Death from the Tales of the Texas Rangers series, in case you missed it. This month, it's both our season three premiere and my turn again. Not that I'm trying to hog the spotlight, which means, according to tradition, I'm bringing something featuring Orson Welles. Shakespeare's Twelfth Night from the Columbia Shakespeare Cycle. Not much is known these days about the Columbia Shakespeare Cycle. It was a short-lived series, as far as we can find out, just eight one-hour dramatizations of Shakespeare's plays which were broadcast in the summer of 1937, which also included adaptations of Henry IV, Taming of the Shrew, Much Ado About Nothing, and Julius Caesar, among others. And the cast of these plays included the best and brightest from Broadway and Hollywood, including, uh, what, Edward G. Edward G. Robinson, yeah, uh, yeah. Rosalind Russell. Uh, yeah, right. Leslie Howard, Claude Rains, even Henri Bogart. Uh, <laughs> tonight's selection, no exception. What We got uh, Sir Cedric Hardwick, Tallulah Bankhead, and a 22-year-old would-be genius named Orson Welles in the cast. And so, without further ado... About nothing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we present Twelfth Night from August 30th, 1937, and the Columbia Shakespeare Cycle. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency. Get comfortable and listen. New York City, the Columbia Network presents William Shakespeare's fantasy, Twelfth Night. Each Monday night at this time, during July and August, the Columbia Network has brought you special full-hour radio adaptations of seven of William Shakespeare's greatest plays starring some of the world's most distinguished artists. Tonight, another imposing list of players from stage, screen, and radio join us in bringing you Shakespeare's delightful fantasy, Twelfth Night, which is the concluding play in Columbia's 1937 Shakespeare cycle. performance of Twelfth Night are Tallulah Bankhead as Viola, Sir Cedric Hardwick as Malvolio, Helen Menken as Olivia, Orson Welles as Duke Orsino, and Estelle Winwood as Mariah. The brilliant supporting cast is headed by Mark Smith as Sir Toby Belch, Robert Strauss as Sir Andrew Aguecheek, Burford Hampton as Feste the Clown, 
Sidney Smith as Sebastian, Ray Collins as Antonio, John Driggs plays Valentine, Niles Welch plays the officer. Victor Bay, Columbia's talented young conductor, raises his baton to lead the orchestra in the musical introduction. And Conway Turrell, distinguished actor of stage and screen, comes forward as narrator to present the prologue to Twelfth Night. On the sunlit coast of a green curling sea is the land of Illyria. The sand on the shore is white. From the moss on the glistening rocks spring small white flowers. And white, rising above the cypress trees, white are the marble columns of the great palace towards which we are wafted by this strain of music. Here dwells the Countess Olivia, beautiful, aloof, and melancholy. For the death of an only brother has clouded her life. In the household of the fair Olivia lives her uncle, the sponging, roaring, wine-bibbing, fat, Sir Toby Belch. <laughs> you may be sure he is not sad. He's in the kitchen getting drunk as fast as he can with his old crony, Sir Andrew Aguecheek. Sir Andrew is spindle-shanked and rattle-brained. But Toby would like to see him married to Olivia to make her borrowing money a bit easier. Beside them now stands Mariah, a pert wench with saucy blue eyes, who, in moments of more propriety, acts as lady-in-waiting to Olivia. Mariah! Mariah! What a plague means my niece to take the death of her brother thus. Mariah! A stoop of wine! Sir Toby, Sir Toby, that drinking will undo you. I heard my lady Olivia talk of it yesterday, and of this foolish knight that you brought in one night to be her wooer. Who, Sir Andrew Agnesheek? Aye, he. Faith, Sir Toby, I'll ride home tomorrow. Your niece will none of me. The Duke Orsina himself woos her. She'll none of the Duke. I've heard her swear it. Come, come, shall we set about some rebels? Oh, I delight in rebels sometimes altogether. Faith, I, I can cut a caper. Let me see the caper. Then there is Malvolio, the pompous major domo and butler in chief to Olivia. Now he gestures to himself in the mirror. First he waves an elegantly ruffled hand. Then he leans to examine a small blemish on a rather large nose. Malvolio is socially ambitious. He is persuaded that his mistress is secretly in love with him. To be Count Malvolio. What is but fortune, all is fortune. Mariah once told me that the Lady Olivia did affect me. And I've heard herself come thus near, that should she fancy to be one of my complexion. Besides, she uses me with a more exalted respect than anyone else that follows her. Huh. Well, what should I think of it? Here is the Lady Olivia herself. Before her stands a messenger from the Duke Orsino. Your lord does know my mind. I cannot love him. Yet I suppose him virtuous, know him noble, a gracious person. But yet I cannot love him. He might have took his answer long ago. Now we must hurry on to another palace seat of the handsome Duke Corsino. Ahead of us on the winding road is the Duke's messenger who has just been turned away by Olivia. If we hasten, we shall be in time to hear what he reports of his master. This 
is the Duke. Valentine, how now? What news from her? So please, my lord, the element itself, till seven years head, shall not behold her face at ample view. But like a cloistress, she will veil it walk. Oh, she that hath the heart of that fine frame to pay this debt of love but to a brother, how will she love when the rich golden shaft hath killed the flock of all affections else that live in her? Come, get you in. Olivia weeps for her brother, and Orsino sighs for Olivia. But to all appearances, they may continue to do so till doomsday on the white, sunlit shores of a green, curling sea. But now comes a storm. Out at sea, a hurrying ship is lashed to helplessness by wind and frothing waves. A brother and sister, twins alike in face and manner, cling frantically to each other. The mainmast goes. The ship is down with a stern. The brother and sister are in the water. Now they are wrenched apart. Now a rushing avalanche of water is between them. A sailor is swimming toward the girl as night blocks out the sea. Viola, for that is the girl's name, is rescued and brought safely to shore in a small boat just as day dawns. But no one has seen her twin brother, Sebastian. Now Viola has mastered her grief as best she can in the faint hope that he may have been rescued. Now she must turn to the problem of living, for she is without money or friends. Knowest thou this country, sailor? Aye, madam. Who governed here? A noble duke, Orsino. Orsino. I've heard my father name him. He was a bachelor then. And so is now, or was so very late. I prithee conceal me what I am, and be my aid, for such disguise as haply shall become the form of my intent. I'll serve this duke, for I can sing and speak to him in many sorts of music. That will allow me very worthy service. What else may hap through time I will commit. Only shape thou thy silence to my wit. And thus, dressed as a boy, with her hair still salty from the sea, cut short like a boy's, Viola enters the service of the Duke Orsino, calling herself Cesario. Thus ends the prologue and begins the play of Twelfth Night, or what you will. If the Duke continues these favors toward you, Cesario, you will like to be much advanced. He hath known you but three days, and already you're no stranger. You either fear his humor or my negligence, that you call in question the continuance of his love. Is he inconstant, sir, in his favors? No, believe me. I thank you. Here he comes. If music be the food of love, play on. Give me excess of it. That surfeiting the appetite may sicken and so die. That strain again. It had a dying fall. Oh, it came o'er my ear like the sweet sound that breathes upon a bank of violets. Stealing and giving odor. Enough, no more. It is not so sweet now as it was before. Who saw Cesario ho? On your attendance, my lord. Here. Stand you a while aloof. Cesario, thou knowest no less but all. I have unclasped to thee the book even of my secret soul. Therefore, good youth, address thy gate unto her. Be not denied excess. Stand at her doors and tell them... There thy fixed foot shall grow till I have audience. Sure, my noble lord, if she be so abandoned to her sorrow as it is spoke, 
She never will admit me. Be clamorous and leap all civil bounds rather than make unprofited returns. Say, I do speak with her, my lord. What then? Oh, then unfold the passion of my love. Surprise her with discourse of my dear faith. It will become thee well to act my woes. She will attend it better in thy youth than in annuncios of more grave aspect. <laughs> I think not so, my lord. Dear lad, believe it, for they shall yet belie thy happy years that say thou art a man. Some four or five attend him. All, if you will, for I myself am best when least in company. Prosper well in this, and thou shalt live as freely as thy lord to call his fortunes thine. I'll do my best to woo your lady. Yet a bar for strife. Whoever I woo, myself would be his wife. This is Feste, the Lady Olivia's clown, speaking out of my part. From a seat here in Lady Olivia's garden, I can see the road that winds through the cypress trees from the Duke's palace. That handsome young page, newly taken into Orsino's service, is coming our way. I may guess what he has to say, and true, I wish him success. For truly, my lady has mourned too long. But soft, here she comes. God bless thee, Lady Olivia. Take the fool away. Do you not hear, Malvolio? Take away the lady. Good, I bade them take away you. Miss Prision in the highest degree. Good Madonna, give me leave to prove you a fool. Can you do it? Dexteriously, good Madonna. Make your proof. Good Madonna, why mournest thou? Oh, good fool, for my brother's death. I think his soul is in hell, Madonna. I know his soul is in heaven, fool. The more fool, Madonna, to mourn for your brother's soul being in heaven. <laughs> take away the fool, Malvolio. What think you of this fool, Malvolio? Doth he not mend? Yes, and shall do till the pangs of death shake him. Infirmity that decays the wise doth ever make the better fool. God send you, sir, a speedy infirmity for the better increasing your folly. Oh, how say you to that, Malvolia? Oh, I wonder your ladyship takes delight in such a barren rascal. No, you are sick of self-love, Malvolio, and taste with a distempered appetite. Madam, madam, there is at the gate a young gentleman, much desires to speak with you. From the Duke of Sino, is it, Maria? <laughs> I know not, madam. Is a fair young man and well attended. Oh, go you, Malvolio. If it be a suit from the Count, I am sick or not at home or what you will to dismiss it. Oh, <laughs> mistress mine, where are you roaming? Oh, mistress mine, ah. where are you roaming? Oh, stay and hear your true love coming. You hear, Lady Olivia? Oh, go to... Your fooling grows old. <laughs> madam, madam. I, Malvolia. Yon young fellow swears that he will speak with you. I told him you were sick. He takes on him to understand so much and therefore comes to speak with you. I told him you were asleep. He seems to have a foreknowledge of that too and therefore comes to speak with you. What is to be said to him, lady? He's fortified against any denial. Tell him he shall not speak with me. Has been told so, and he says he'll stand at your door like a sheriff's post and be the supporter to a bench, but he'll speak with you. Why, what kind of a man is he? Well, of mankind. What manner of man? Oh, very ill manner. He'll speak with you, will you or no? Of what personage and years is he? Not yet old enough for a man nor young enough for a boy. As a squash is before it is a peace cod or a codling when it is almost a happle. Tis with him in standing water between boy and man. He's very well favoured and he speaks very shrewishly. One would think his mother's milk was scarce out of him. Oh. <laughs> Let him approach. Call in, Maria. Gentle woman. My lady calls. 
Milady? Mariah, give me my veil. Come, throw it over my face. We'll once more hear Rostino's embassy. The honorable lady of the house. Which is she? Speak to me. I shall answer for her. Your will. Most radiant, exquisite, and unmatchable beauty. I pray you tell me if this be the lady of the house. I would be loath to cast away my speech. For besides, if it is excellently well penned, I've taken great pains to con it. Whence came you, sir? Well, I can say a little more than I've studied, and that question's out of my part. Are you a comedian? No, my profound heart. And yet, by the very fangs of malice, I swear I'm not that I play. Are you the lady of the house? If I do not usurp myself, I am. Well, most certain if you are she, you do usurp yourself. For what is yours to bestow is not yours to reserve. I will arm with my speech and your praise, and then show you the heart of my message. Come to what is important, Int. I forgive you the praise. Alas, I took great pains to study it. And tis poetical. It is more the like to be feigned. Come, speak your office. It alone concerns your ear. Aye, Malvolio, give us the place alone. <coughs> Madame. Now, sir, what is your taste? Most sweet lady. Ah, a comfortable doctrine, and much may be said of it. But where lies your text? In Orsino's bosom. In his bosom? In what chapter of his bosom? In the first of his heart. Oh, I have read it. It is heresy. Have you no more to say? Good, madam, let me see your face. Have you any commission from your lord to negotiate with my faith? Oh, you are now out of your text. But we will draw the curtain and show you the picture. Look, you sir. It's not well done. Excellently done. If God did all. Tis in grain, sir. Tis in dear wind and weather. Tis beauty truly blent. Whose red and white nature's own sweet and cunning hand laid on. Lady, you're the cruelest she alive. If you will leave these graces to the grave and leave the world no copy. Oh, sir, I will not be so hard-hearted. I will give out diverse schedules of my beauty. As item, two lips. Oh, indifferent red. Item... Two gray eyes with lids to them. Item, one neck, one chin, and so forth. Oh. Well, you're sent hither to praise me. I see what you are. You're too proud. But if you were the devil, you're fair. My lord and master loves you. Oh, such love could be but recompense. Though you were crowned and on parole of beauty. How does he love me? With adorations, fertile tears. With groans at thunder love, with sighs of fire. Oh, your lord does know my mind. I cannot love him. He might have took his answer long ago. If I did love you in my master's flame, in your denial I would find no sense I would not understand it. Why? What would you? Make me a willow cabin at your gate and call upon my soul within the house. Write loyal cantons of contemned love and sing them loud even into the dead of night. Hallow your name to the reverberate hills and make the babbling gossip of the air cry out, Olivia. Oh, you should not rest between the elements of air and earth, but you should pity me. You might do much. What is your parentage? Above my fortune, yet my state is well. I, uh, I am a gentleman. I Oh, get you to your lord. I cannot love him. Let him send no more. Unless, perchance, you come to me again uh, to tell me how he takes it. Very well. I thank thee for your pains. 
spend this for me? I am no feed post lady. Keep your purse. My master, not myself, lacks recompense. Farewell, fair cruelty. Fare thee well. Oh, what is your parentage? Above my fortunes, yet my state is well. I am a gentleman. Ah, I'll be sworn thou art. Thy tongue, thy face, limbs, actions, and spirit do give thee fivefold blazon, but not too fast. Soft, soft. Unless the master were the man, or how now, even so quickly may one catch the plague. Methinks I feel this youth's perfections with an invisible and subtle stealth to creep in at mine eyes. Well, let it be. Oh, Malvolio. Yeah, madame, at your service. Run out to that same Peter's messenger, the county's man. He, he left this ring behind him, would I or not? Tell him I'll none of it. Desire him not to flatter with his lord, nor hold him up with hopes. I am not for him. If, if that youth will come this way tomorrow, I shall give him reasons for it. Hi thee, Malvolio. Madame, I will. Oh, I do, I know not what. Oh, fate, show thy force. This is Feste the Clown. I swear my mistress has fallen in love with the Duke's page Cesario. Else why is she distracted? Else why did she send him a ring he ne'er had? Else why did she retire to bed without supper, if it were not to grieve? But let that go. Sir Toby and the foolish Sir Andrew are drunk in the kitchen, where I shall join them anon. Approach, Sir Andrew. Not to be a bed after midnight is to be up betimes, thou knowest. Nay, by my troth, I know not. But I know to be up late is to be up late. A false conclusion. I hate it as an unfilled can. Does not our life consist of the four elements? Pray, so they say. But, but I think it, it rather consists of eating and drinking. Thou art a scholar. Let us therefore eat and drink. Hey, Robin, join Robin. Tell me, how now, my heart? Here comes the foolie thing. Welcome, ass. Now let's have a chat. Come on, let's have a song. Mm, shall we make the welkin dance indeed? <laughs> shall we rouse the night owl in a catch that will draw three souls out of one weaver? <laughs> shall we do that? And you love me, let's do it. I'm a dog at a catch. Let our catch be, thou knave. Hold thy peace, thou knave knight. I shall be constrained in it to call thee knave knight. Tis not the first time I've constrained one to call me knave. Uh, begin, fool. It, it begins, hold thy peace. I shall never begin if I hold my peace. <laughs> Goody face. Come, begin. Hold thy peace, I pray you, hold thy peace. What a caterwauling do you keep here? If Milady had not called up her steward, Malvolio, and bid him turn you out of doors, never trust me. Maria, my lady's a Catayan. Malvolio's a beggar Ramsey. And three merry men be we. <laughs> Am not I consanguineous? Am I not of a blood? Silly Valley, lady. There dwelt a man in Babylon, in Babylon, in Babylon. Peace, Sir Toby. Well, 
the love of God. Peace. Here comes Malvolio. My masters, are you mad or what are you? Have you no wit, manners, nor honesty, but the gabble-like tinkers of this time of night? Well, do you make an alehouse of my lady's house that you squeak out your coziest catches without any mitigation or remorse of voice? Is there no respect of place, persons, nor time in you? We did keep time, sir, in our catches. Sir Toby, I must be round with you. My lady Olivia bade me tell you that though she arbors you as her kinsman, she is nothing allied to your disorder. If you can separate yourself and your misdemeanors, you are welcome to the house. If not, and it would please you to take your leave of her, she is very willing to bid you farewell. Farewell, dear heart. Since I must needs be gone, snack up. Nay, good, Sir Toby. Oh, this is much credit to you. Shall I bid him go? Oh, no. What, and if you do? Shall I bid him go and spare not? No, 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 you dare not. Sir Toby, although you art any more than a steward, dost thou think because thou art virtuous, there should be no more cakes and ales? Go, sir. Rub your chain with crumbs. A stoop of wine, Mariah. <laughs> Mistress Mariah, if you prize my lady's favorite anything more than contempt, you would not give means for this uncivil rule. She shall know of it by this end. Go shake your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Sir Toby, be patient for tonight. Since the youth of the Count's was today with my lady, she is much out of quiet. For Monsieur Malvolio, let me alone with him. If I do not gull him into a nay-word and make him a common recreation, do not think I have wit enough to lie straight in my bed. I know I can do it. Possess us, possess us. Tell us something of him. Mary, sir, sometimes he's a kind of Puritan. Oh, if I thought that, I'd beat him like a dog. <laughs> the devil of Puritan, that he is. Or anything constantly but a time-pleaser. Malvolio's the best persuaded of himself, so crammed as he thinks with excellences, that it is his grounds of faith that all that look on him love him. <laughs> <laughs> and on that vice in him will my revenge find a notable cause to work. What wilt thou do? I will drop in Malvolio's way some obscure epistles of love. <laughs> Wherein? Yeah. By the color of his beard, the shape of his leg, the manner of his gait, the expression of his eye, forehead, and complexion, he shall find himself most feelingly personated. <laughs> <laughs> I can write very like me, Lady Olivia. On a forgotten matter, we can hardly make distinction of our hands. Excellent. I smell a device. I have it in my nose, too. Malvolio shall think by the letters that thou wilt drop that they come from my niece and that she's in love with him. My purpose is indeed a horse of that color. A and your horse now would make him an ass. Ass? I doubt not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it will be admirable. <laughs> Thought to royal, I'll warrant you. I know my physic will work with him. I I will plant you two where Malvolio shall find the letter. Mm -hmm. Observe his construction of it <laughs> for this night to bed and dream on the event. <laughs> Farewell. Good night, Pantasilia. <laughs> Before me, she's a good wench. She's a beagle, true bred, and one that adores me. Oh, what of that? Mm, I was adored once. Yeah. Come, come, I'll go burn some sack. It is too late to go to bed now. Come night, come 
night. There dwelt a man in Babylon. have just heard the first part of Columbia's presentation of Twelfth Night, starring Tallulah Bankhead as Viola, Sir Cedric Hardwick as Malvolio, Helen Menken as Olivia, Orson Welles as Duke Orsino, and Estelle Winwood as Mariah. The play will continue in just a moment. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. continue with the second part of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, and again your narrator, Conway Turrell, comes forward to set the scene. Another day has passed for the shores of the Queen Curling Sea, and Viola, still masquerading as the boy Cesario, has fallen violently in love with the Duke Orsino. But the Duke is more madly in love than ever with Olivia. He sits now in his great chair listening to the court musicians while Viola lies at his feet on a silver cushion. Oh, good Cesario, if ever thou shalt love, in the sweet pangs of it remember me. For such as I am, all true lovers are, unstayed and skittish in all motions else, save in the constant image of the creature that is beloved. How dost thou like this tune? It gives a very echo to the seat where love is throned. Thou dost speak masterly. My life upon it, young though thou art, thine eye hath stayed upon some favor that it loves. Hath it not, boy? A little, by your favor. What kind of woman is it? Of your complexion, my lord. <laughs> She's not worthy, then. What years is it? About your years, my lord. Too old, by heaven. Let still the woman take an elder than herself. So wears she to him. So sways she level in her husband's heart. Then let thy love be younger than thyself, for thy affection cannot hold the bent. For women are as roses, whose fair flower being once displayed, before that very hour. And so they are. Alas, that they are so, to die, even when they to perfection grow. Now, good Cesario, but that piece of song, that old and antique song we heard last night. Methought it did relieve my passion much, more than light airs and recollected terms of these most brisk and giddy-paced times. Come, but one verse. Are you ready, my lord? I prithee, sing. <laughs> Come, come, come away, yes, and in sad silence let me be Fly, fly, fly away, yes, I'm saying 
Cesario, get thee to yon same sovereign cruelty. But if she cannot love you, sir? I cannot be so answered. Soothe, but you must say that some lady, as perhaps there is, hath for your love as great a pang of heart as you have for Olivia. You cannot love her, you tell her so. But must she not then be so answered? There is no woman's sides can bide the beating of so strong a passion as love doth give my heart. No woman's heart so big to hold so much. Make no compare between that love a woman can bear me and that I owe Olivia. Ah, but I know. What dost thou know? Too well what love women to men may owe. In fate, they're as true of heart as we. My father had a daughter, loved a man. And what's her history? A blank, my lord. She never told her love. But let concealment, like a worm in the bud, feed on her damask cheek. She pined and thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy, she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed, my lord? But died thy sister of her love, my boy? I am all the daughters of my father's house, and all the brothers too, and yet I know not. Sir, shall I to this lady? Aye, now that's the theme. To her in haste. Give her this jewel. Say my love can give no place, bide no dinay. This is Pesty the Clown, speaking frankly out of my path. And I must tell you that the impudent young page Cesario is knocking at our gates again. Milady has come into the garden to meet him. I believe the young rascal suspects that my Madonna loves him, but soft. Most excellent, accomplished lady, the heavens rain odors on you. Your hand, sir. My duty, madam, and most humble service. What is your name? Cesario is your servant's name, fair princess. My servant, sir? Your servant to the Duke of Sino, you. And he is yours, and his must needs be yours. Your servant's servant is your servant, madam. I bade you never speak of him again. But would you undertake another suit? I had rather hear you to solicit that than music from the spheres. Dear lady. Cesario, give me leave, beseech you. I did send, after the last enchantment you did hear, a ring in chase of you. So did I abuse myself, my servant, and I fear me, you... And under your hard construction must I sit to force that on you in a shameful cunning of which you knew none of. To one of your receiving, enough is shown. A cypress, not a bosom hideth my heart. Let me hear you speak. I pity you. That's a degree of love. No, not a grise. For it is vulgar proof that very oft we pity enemies. Why then, methinks tis time to smile again. A word, how apt the poor are to be proud. Be not afraid, good youth. I'll not have you. There lies your way. Do you west? Then westward ho, grace and good disposition attend your ladyship. You'll nothing, madam, to my lord by me. Oh, stay, I pray thee. Tell me what thou thinkest of me. 
But you do think you're not what you are. Yes, I think so. I think the same of you. <laughs> then think you're right. I'm not what I am. <laughs> but I would you were as I would have you be. Would it be better, madam, than I am? <laughs> I wish it might, for now I am your fool. Oh, Cesario, by the roses of the spring, by maidhood, honor, truth, and everything, I love thee so that maugre all thy pride, no wit, no reason can my passion hide. By innocence, I swear, and by my youth, I have one heart, one bosom, and one truth, and that no woman has, nor ever none shall, Mistress Beavitt, save I alone. And so adieu, good madam. Nevermore will I my master's tears to you deplore. Yet come again, for thou perhaps mayest move that heart, which now pours to like his love. This is Festy the Clown. I'm very weary I am of this lovemaking. Oh, well, there's some sport afoot. Sir Toby and Sir Andrew and Mariah are in the garden. And Mariah has scribbled the letter to Malvolio in a hand so like my lady's that Malvolio cannot choose but be fooled. Nor does he need persuasion. The ass believes my lady loves him. <laughs> Here comes Mariah with the letter. Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, Festy! Quick, quick! Malvolio's coming. Malvolio's coming down this walk. He has been yonder by the sun, practicing behavior to his own shadow this last half hour. <laughs> Observe him for the love of mockery. But I know this letter will make a contemplative idiot of him. Get ye all three into the box tree. Letter, lie thou there. For here comes the trout that must be caught with tickling. <laughs> to be Count Malvolio. Oh, there is example for it. The lady of the Strachey married the yeoman of the wardrobe. Having been three months married to Olivia, calling my officers about me in my branched velvet gown, having come from a daybed where I have left Olivia sleeping. Fire and brimstone? And then to have the humor of state, and after a demure regard of travel, telling them that I know my place as I would they should do theirs. To ask for my kinsman, Toby. Oh, for a stone bow to hit him in the eye. Oh, peace, peace, Several peace. of my people with an obedient start make out for him. I frown the while, and perchance wind up my watch or play with my, uh, some rich jewel. Toby approaches, curtsies there to me. Shall this fellow live? Jesus. I extend my hand to him thus, saying, <clears throat> Cousin Toby, my fortunes having cast me on your niece give me this prerogative of speech. You must amend your drunkenness. Out, scab. Nay, Besides, patience. you waste the treasure of your time with a foolish knight. That's me. I warrant you. Once a handrew. I knew it was a <laughs> Hmm. Ha-ha. Oh. A letter. <clears throat> now is the woodcock near the gym. What employment have we here? By my leaf, this is my lady's hand. These be her very C's, her U's, and her T's. And thus makes she her great P's. Oh, it is intent to question her hand. Her C's, her U's, and her T's. Why that? To the unknown beloved, this and my good wishes. Her very phrases. 
by your leave wax. Soft. And the impression of her Lucrece with which she uses to seal. Oh, tis my lady. Hmm. To whom should this be? Did not I say he would work it out? I may command where I adore, but silence like a Lucrece knife, with bloodless stroke me art doth gore. Hem, ho, hey, hi, doth sway me life. A Faustian riddle. Excellent wench. <laughs> Hem, ho, hey, hi, doth sway me life. Oh, let me see, let me see. I may command where I adore. Why, she may command me. Oh, this is evident to any formal capacity. There is no obstruction in this. And the end, what does this alphabetical position portend? Hem, ho, hey, hi. <laughs> hem. Malvolio, hem. Why, that begins my name. There, did not I say he would work it out? Yes, but then there is no constancy in the sequel that suffers under probation. A should follow, but Ho does. And O shall end, I hope. I'll cudgel him and make him cry, Ho. Soft, here follows prose. If this fall into thy hand, revolve. Mm -hmm. In my stars I am above thee, but be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Remember who commended thy yellow stockings and wished to see thee ever cross-gartered. I say, remember. Go to, thou art made, if thou desirest to be so. Farewell. She that would alter services with thee, the fortunate unhappy. Oh, daylight and champagne discovers not more. This is open. Ho, ho. Oh, I do not now fool myself to let imagination jade me, for every reason excites me to this. That my lady loves me. <laughs> oh, I thank my stars I'm happy. I will baffle Sir Toby. <laughs> I will be strange, stouting yellow stockings and cross-gartered even with the swiftness of putting on. Jove and my stars be praised. Oh, here is yet a postscript. Thou canst not choose but know who I am. If thou entertainest my love, let it appear in thy smiling. Thy smiles become thee well. Jove, I thank thee. I will smile. I will do everything that thou wilt have me. <laughs> oh, I could marry this wench for this device. So could I too. <laughs> Maria, where is Malvolio? He's coming, madam, but in very strange manner. He's sure possessed, madam. Why, what's the matter? Does he rave? No, madam, he does nothing but smile. Your ladyship are best to have a guard about you if he comes. For sure the man is tainted in his wits. Oh, I am as mad as he, if sad and merry madness equal be. How now, Malvolio? Sweet lady. Ho, ho, ho. Smilest thou, I sent for thee upon a sad occasion. Sad, lady? Oh, I could be sad. This does make some obstruction in the blood, this cross-gartering, but, oh, what of that? 
If it please the eye of one, it is with me as the very true son. It is please one, please all. Oh, dost thou, man? What is the matter with thee? Not black in my mind, though yellow in my legs. <laughs> oh, it did come to his hands, and command shall be executed. I think we do know the sweet Roman hand. Wilt thou go to bed, Malvolio? To bed? Aye, sweetheart, and I'll come to thee. God comfort thee. How do you, Malvolio? Why do you appear with this ridiculous boldness before me, lady? Be not afraid of greatness. Ho, 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 it was well writ. What meanest by that? Some Malvolio. are born great. Eh? Some achieve greatness. So. And some have greatness thrust upon them. Heaven restore thee. <laughs> Remember who commended thy yellow stockings? My yellow stockings. And wish to see thee ever cross garters. Cross garters? Go to, thou art made. If thou desirest to be so. Oh, am I made? Oh, why, why, this is very midsummer madness. Madam, madam, the young gentleman at the Duke Orsino's is returned. I could hardly entreat him back. He attends your ladyship's pleasure. Oh, I'll come to him. Good Mariah, let this fellow be looked to. Where's my cousin Toby? Let some of my people have a special care of him. I would not have him miscarry for the half of my dowry. Oh, ho, ho, ho. You come near me now. Oh, no worse man than Sir Toby to look to me. Oh, this concurs directly with the letter. She sends him on purpose that I may appear stubborn to him. Which way is he in the name of sanctity? If all the devils of hell be drawn and little and legion himself possessed him, yet I'll speak to him. Here he is. Here he is. Oh, how is it with you, sir? How is it with you, ma'am? Go off. I discard you. Let me enjoy my private. Go off. Why, how now, my Borkock? How dost thou, Chuck? Go hang yourselves all. You are idle, shallow things. I am not of your element. You shall know more hereafter. <laughs> this is Fessy the Clown. To tell you there is yet more fun afoot. Silly Sir Andrew is fighting cocktails of the Duke's page Cesario. Now Sir Toby Belch has spurred Sir Andrew to challenge the youth to a duel. <laughs> I know Andrew is a coward. As for Cesario, tis a soft-spoken youth. They are both like to die of fright. But Tarry, here comes the page now. And Sir Toby to meet him with Ague Cheek's challenge. Gentlemen, God save thee. And you, sir. That defense thou hast, to take thee to it. Thy interceptor, bloody as the hunter, attends thee at the orchard. Oh, you mistake, sir. I'm sure no man hath any quarrel to me. I pray you, sir, what is he? One Sir Andrew. He is a devil in a private brawl. Oh, I will return again into the house and desire some conduct of the lady. I am no fighter. Back you shall not to the house. <laughs> I beseech you, do me this courteous office as to know of the knight what my offense to him is. I will do so, Sir Feste. I Sir Toby. Say you by this gentleman till I return. I sir. <laughs> Sir Andrew, he's a very devil. Oh, pox on it. I I'll not meddle with him. Aye, but he'll not now be pacified. Best they can scarce hold him yonder. Oh, let him let the matter slip, and I I'll give him my horse. Great capitalist. I'll make the motion. Stand here. Make a good show on it. This shall end without the perdition of soul. Oh. 
There's no remedy, Senor Cesario. He will fight with you for all's sake. He protests he will not hurt you. Pray God defend me. A little thing would make me tell them how much I lack of in hand. Come, Sir Andrew. The gentleman, for his honor's sake, have one bout with you. But he has promised me he will not hurt you. Oh, pray God he keep his oath. Come on. Come on, do it! I say the clown. I say there's a strange pirate man running in at the gate. Put up your sword. If this young gentleman have done offense, I take the fault on me. If you offend him, I for him defy you. You, sir, why, what are you? One, sir, that for his love dares yet do more than you have heard him brag to you he will. Nay, if you'll be an undertaker, I am for you. Oh, good, sir, behold. Here come the officers. Officers? I'll be with you or not. Man. Antonio, I arrest thee at the suit of Count Orsino. You do mistake me, sir. No, sir, no job. I know your favor well. Take him away. He knows I know him well. I must obey. Sebastian, this comes with seeking you. But there's no remedy I shall answer it. What will you do now my necessity makes me to ask you for my purse? Come, sir, away. Sebastian, I must entreat of you some of that money. What money, sir? For the fair kindness that you've showed me here... Out of my lean and low ability, I lend you something. Oh, that's half my copper. Do not tempt my misery, lest that it make me so unsound a man as to abrade you with those kindnesses that I have done for you. I know of none, nor know I you by voice or any feature. Oh, heavens themselves. Come, sir, I pray you, go. Let me speak a little. This youth that you see here, Sebastian, I snatched one half out of the jaws of death. What's that to us? Time goes by. Away. This is Turl, your narrator. Fester the Clown may be clever, but there are a few things he does not know. First, he does not know that Cesario is really the girl Viola. Second, he does not know that Viola has a twin brother, Sebastian. Third, and you may have begun to suspect this, he does not know that Sebastian, alive and rescued by the stranger Antonio, is at this very moment coming down the winding road. As Fester would say, more fun afoot. Sir Andrew and Sir Toby are seeking Viola because she ran away after the duel. And Sir Andrew is now convinced that he has a coward he can bully. Now they come upon Sebastian, mistaking him for the disguised Viola. Now, sir, have I met you again? There's for you. Why, there's for you. Ah, There, ah, there. ah, Are all the people mad? Hold, sir, or I'll throw your dagger over the house. Come on, sir, hold. Nay, let him alone. I'll have an action of battery against him if there be any law in Illyria. Let go thy hand. Come, sir, I will not let you go. Come, my young soldier. Put up your iron. You're well fleshed. Come on. I will be free from thee. What would you now? If thou darest tempt me further, draw thy sword. What? What? Nay, then I must have an ounce of this malapert blood from you. To it, then. Here comes my lady. Oh, Toby. Oh, Will it be ever thus? Ungracious wretch, fit for the mountains and the barbarous caves where manners ne'er were preached. But, 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 Out but, but, of my sight. Be not offended, dear Cesario. Rude be, be gone. Oh, Cesario. I prithee, gentle friend, let thy fair wisdom, not thy passion, sway in this uncivil and unjust extent against thy peace. Go with me to, to my house, and hear thou there how many fruitless pranks this ruffian hath botched up, that thou thereby mayest smile at this. Ah, 
Thou shalt not choose, but oh. Fair lady. Oh, blame not this haste of mine. If you mean well, like me the full assurance of your faith. Do not deny. If it be thus to dream, still let me sleep. Oh, nay, come, my pretty. Would thou be ruled by me? Madam, I will. Oh, and so be. Then lead the way, and heaven so shine that they may fairly melt this act of mine. So you see, Olivia gets her man and doesn't know that it's the wrong man. That is to say, she marries Sebastian, believing him to be Cesario, while Cesario, in reality, is Sebastian's twin sister, Viola. You see what I mean, I'm sure. But even if you don't, the truth will out in a few moments, for here is the Duke at Olivia's gate, grimly resolved to do his own wooing. With him is Viola, still dressed as a boy. Here, too, are the officers with the pirate Antonio who rescued Sebastian from the sea. Antonio still insists that Viola is Sebastian. And now comes Olivia, who of course looks upon Viola as the man she has just married. Here comes the Countess. Now heaven walks on earth. Cesario! Cesario! Oh! Cesario, you do not keep promise with me, madam. Uh, gracious Olivia. What you say, Cesario? My lord would speak. My duty hushes me. If it be to the old tune, my lord... It is as fat and fulsome to my ear as howling after music. Still so cruel. And still so constant, my lord. What, to perverseness? You uncivil lady. Come, boy, with me. My thoughts are ripe in mischief. And I most joke and apt and willingly to do the rest. A thousand deaths would die. Well, where goes Cesario? After him, I love. More than I love his eyes. More than my life. More by all more than e'er I shall love wife. Oh. I me detested. How I am beguiled. Who does beguile you? Who does you want? Hast thou forgot thyself? Is it so long? Come away. Oh, Cesario, my husband. Hey. Husband? Aye, husband. Can he that deny? Her husband, Sarah? No, my lord, not I. Oh, thou dissembling cop. What wilt thou be when time hath sowed a grizzle on thy case? Farewell and take her, but direct thy feet where thou and I henceforth. May never meet. My lord, I do protest. My no, lord. I swear. Oh, little faith, thou hast too much fear. Oh, for the love of God, a surgeon. Send one presently to Sir Toby. So what's the matter, Sir Andrew? He has broke my head across and has given Sir Toby a bloody coxcomb, too. Oh, who has done this, Sir the Andrew? The Count's gentleman, one Cesario. My gentleman? Cesario? Why do you speak to me? I never hurt you. Oh, if a bloody coxcomb be a hurt, you have hurt me. Oh, oh, here comes Sir Toby, halting. How now, gentlemen? How is it with you? Oh, that's all one has hurt me, and there's the end on it. Oh, get him to mm. bed and let his hurt be looked to. Yeah, I, I'll help you, Sir Toby. Will you help? <coughs> An ass head <coughs> and a coxcomb <coughs> and a knave, <coughs> a thin-faced knave, <coughs> a gold. Oh, madam, madam. I am sorry, madam, I have hurt your kinsman. Oh. But had it been a brother of my blood, I must have done no less with wit and safety. Oh, one face, one voice, one habit. Oh, and two persons. You throw oh. a strange regard upon me. Sebastian. Antonio. Oh, my dear Antonio. Sebastian, are you? <laughs> as fair as thou that, Antonio. How have you made division of yourself? 
And Apple Captain, too, is not more twin than these two creatures. Which is Sebastian? Which, which is Cesario? Do I stand there? I never had a brother. I had a sister whom the blind waves and surges have devoured. What charity, what kin are you to me? What countryman, what name, what parentage? Of Messaline. Sebastian was my father. Such a Sebastian was my brother, too. So went he suited to his watery tomb. If spirits can assume both form and suit, you come to fright us. Oh, you a woman, that the rest goes even. I should my tears let fall upon your cheek and say, thrice welcome, drowned Viola. If nothing lets to make us happy both, but this my masculine usurped do not embrace me till each circumstance of place, time, fortune, do cohere and jump that I am, Viola. Boy, thou hast said to me a thousand times, Thou never shouldst love woman like to me. And all those sayings will I overswear. And all those swearings keep as true in soul as doth that orbit continent the fire that severs day from night. Give me thy hand, and let me see thee in thy woman's weeds. Madam! Madam! Oh, here comes Malvolio. They say, poor gentleman, he's much distressed. Madam! Aye. Madam! Is this the madman? Aye, my lord. The same... How now, Malvolio? Madam, you have done me wrong. Notorious wrong. Oh, have I, Malvolio? Lady, you have. Pray you peruse that letter and tell me in the modesty of honor why you have given me such clear lights of favor. Bade me come smiling and cross-gartered to you to put on yellow stockings and to frown upon Sir Toby and the lighter people and made me the most notorious geck and gull that air invention played on. Tell me why. Alas, Malvolio, this is not my writing, though I confess, much like the character, but out of question. Tis Maria's hand. Good madam, hear me speak. Most freely I confess. Myself and Sir Toby set this device against Malvolio here. Maria writ the letter at Sir Toby's great importance. In recompense whereof, he hath married her. Alas, poor Malvolio, how they have... I'll be revenged on the old pack of you. Pursue him and entreat him to a peace. Meantime, sweet sister, we will not part from hence. Cesario, come, for so you shall be while you are a man. But when in other habits you are seen, Orsino's mistress and his fancy's queen. When that I was and a little tiny boy With a hey-ho, the wind and the rain A foolish thing was but a toy For the rain it raineth every day A great while ago the world begun With a hey-ho, the wind and the rain But that's all one our play is done and we'll strive to please you every day. And so the curtain falls at Columbia's Playhouse in New York City on the radio adaptation of Shakespeare's fantasy, Twelfth Night. Downstage, acknowledging the tremendous applause you hear, are Tallulah Bankhead, who played Viola, Sir Cedric Hardwick, who was Malvolio, Helen Menken, who was Olivia, Orson Welles, who played Duke Orsino, and Estelle Winwood, who played Mariah. Mark Smith played Sir Toby Belch, Robert Strauss played Sir Andrew Aguecheek, Burford Hampton was Feste the Clown, Sidney Smith was Sebastian, 
Ray Collins, Antonio, John Griggs, Valentine, Niles Welch, the officer. Conway Turrell was the narrator, and the musical score was arranged and conducted by Victor Bay. The play was adapted for radio and produced by Brewster Morgan. This has been another presentation of the Columbia Broadcasting System. We're back with Old Time Radio Essentials. This is Paul with Dave and Pete. That was an episode of the Columbia Shakespeare Cycle called Twelfth Night. Originally broadcast August 30th, 1937 on the Columbia Broadcasting System. Pete, this was your selection for this installment. What the hell made you choose it? <laughs> oh, e- easy now. <laughs> dial, dial it back there, Sounds son. Sounds like an accusation, <laughs> sir. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> well... Of course, with the top of every season, I like to bring in something with Orson. Um, last year, it was Donovan's Brain. Our very first episode was uh, an episode of uh, Mercury Theater, Treasure Island. Uh, and this year has to be no exception. But at the end of season two, I announced I announced it was going to be uh, a double feature of uh, Fred Allen's show with Orson Welles as the guest star. But that was also with the hope that we would start our uh, third season some two or three months ago. So when the rotation came about, I said, okay, and just throw all caution to the winds. Let's do something different. And I went looking for it and I found this. Uh, I love Orson Welles, uh, Shakespeare on the radio. Uh, he, he really, uh, when he got started doing it himself, he didn't direct this one, but when he started doing his own Shakespeare, uh, on the radio, uh, it was marvelous. My own, adaptation of Macbeth a few years ago uh, was relied heavily on Orson Welles's adaptation of it. Uh, and, and I followed it and I crossed out and I found out, okay, he moved this section to this part of the script. Okay. Oh, really? Very interesting. So he did <laughs> not only a dramatization of it, he did his own interpretation of it. Um, and so uh, when I started listening to this, uh, I thought, okay, Orson's only 22 years old. Who's he going to play? Now, he did not play the lead. He was um, uh, Orsino, and so it, his part was much smaller than the others, but he, he really uh, stood out. I think he stood out here. Um, but uh, um, I've seen not a live production of Twelfth Night, but on PBS some years ago, there was the Royal Shakespeare Company uh, production that was filmed, and, and I, I loved it. I loved the idea of the... Crossdresser, the girl dressed in boys' clothing who fools everybody uh, and into thinking that that he's he's uh, that she's a young man. Uh, I like how Orsino uh, falls in love with her, thinking that it's some sort of weirdness that he's in love with uh, a boy uh, who turns out to be a girl. So all is well. <laughs> this one should have been called All Is Well That Ends Well, really. <laughs> Or Victor Victoria. Yeah. But... <laughs> Bonnie Vic- Python Life of Brian. Yeah. So <laughs> I chose it just out of uh, desperation, something to bring to the table. But in the end, it was I, I think it was a very good choice. Overall, it is done well. I love the narrator. The narrators, um, they were able to cut a lot out because, you know, it's probably a three-hour play in real life which was condensed to an hour. So what they do 
it, what they did was bring in the narrator, who isn't part of the original cast, and uh, use the other characters to narrate some bit. The clown, the the clown or the jester, whoever it was. I Festy. It was, mm, the jester. Festy. 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 Okay. Festus. <laughs> now, Matthew. No, Festy was very well uh, employed with narration and explanations and things like that, which I don't think was in the original script. Uh, and then the narrator himself, which helped join things together, cover the gaps in the areas that were cut out or excised. Um, and overall, a nice, compact, well-played uh, bit of Shakespeare for us. And, and I love Tallulah Bankhead in this. She was, how old was she? She was like uh, 35. I, I did a little calculation. Tallulah Bankhead was 35. Um, she later appeared in the big show on NBC in, in 1950. It was, a, it was a big variety show that only lasted two seasons. Um, Estelle Winwood as Mariah. Estelle Winwood. I know I cannot hear the name Estelle Winwood without conjuring up the little old lady in the wheelchair in that movie Murder by Death. If you ever seen <laughs> the Neil Simon's Murder by Death, that was a little yeah. old lady who who didn't say much. Uh, in that movie, but still stood out as a fantastic character. She was 54 when this play was made, already 54, born in, 19, in, in 1883. So she was the oldest of the main characters, for sure, but she had such a young, girlish voice. It was That's the miracle of radio right there. <laughs> Sir Cedric Hardwick uh, was um, um, the Mad Malvolio? Yeah, Mon yeah, Malvolio. Malvolio. And... <laughs> Just amazing, just amazing. His um, he was forty four, so ten years younger, and then Orson, of course, twenty two. Um, <laughs> by this time, though, he'd already directed plays for the Federal Theater Project, that Depression era um, uh, program that was designed to fund theater perf performances and actors. Uh, so he he had already di directed his all black version of Macbeth, which was set in Haiti. Not played, it didn't play in Haiti, but it was restaged to look like Haiti. And a, a, a play called The Cradle Will Rock. So he was well on his way to his, his greatness there by the time he was 22. Apparently this was done before a live audience. I heard some laughter from and an Some audience. applause at nice. the, inter so, the intermission and at the yeah, end, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool applause at the end. Um, there was a, a line that I didn't realize came from Shakespeare. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. I've heard that hundreds of times in my life and never realized that it was from Shakespeare. So, All the best cool. lines come from Shakespeare, the, dude. Yeah, it's true. All the best lines do come from Shakespeare. <laughs> so um, overall, I really enjoyed this. Um, uh, just bright and cheerful and rollicking and freewheeling all the way through. It sounded like everybody was having fun from the, the, the leads down to the lesser characters and smaller bit players. Really, everybody had a wonderful time. And um, it was just a beautiful thing. And to know that they did seven other plays, this was the final one in the cycle, that they did seven other Shakespeare plays prior to this with great stars is just amazing. And um, they're, they are out there. They're available. So you can download them just do a search for Columbia's Shakespeare Cycle 1937, and you should get hits.
on that. I Very cool. That you listen to those. Okay, that's all I have. So I'm curious, uh, uh, Pete. I think you mentioned you had done, you had performed some Shakespeare in your time. Yes. Yes. And Paul, you as well. No, I didn't do Shakespeare, but I did ones that were written kind of like Shakespeare. I did the <laughs> second shepherd's play. <laughs> I mean, it was every man in the second shepherd's play. I did those things back in college. Okay. All right. I um I I have done a lot of Shakespeare productions and performances, live performances in 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 my day uh, of trotting the boards. When you shared notes with them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> me me and old Willie. Yeah, uh, uh, giving him critiques on Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, um, I and because of that stage time. Uh, uh, with the with the full text or or most of the text, the uh, an abbreviated Shakespeare bothers me uh, uh, purely from a a, a storytelling perspective uh, uh, and in terms of the nature of the source material. As a as a radio theater production, this worked very nicely. I agree, Pete. Um, uh, uh, the performances were good. Shakespeare always takes a while to get wired into your brain. Uh, I think, you know, it takes a scene or two for your brain to adjust to the syntax of the language and, and the, the, the context and all of that. And once you make that adjustment, then you're, you're in and you're ready to go and you, and you're tracking. Um, I, I, it, it was difficult for me to get into this because of the narrative, because of that bridging of narrative choice of, of narrative components that the narrator does, uh, which he has to do in order to compress a three hour show into one hour. Um, it did a great job of taking the A, B and C plots and, and tying them together and hitting all the high points, uh, uh, and getting the story told, um, and in that regard, it's very well well wrought, but um, I'm a purist, and, and Shakespeare is, is, is not meant to be abbreviated uh, that much, um, and so that was, that, was, that was a frustration for me. Um, but yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. The performances were top shelf. Uh, uh, everybody, I thought, did a very fine job. I, the other challenge I have with, with Shakespeare on, in radio is radio is theater of the mind and and well wrought well written radio theater encourages that imagination that it, it provides words and and frame uh, a framework for the imagination to hang it on shakespeare has this lush lovely language and and, and lyrical poetic verse um it doesn't lend itself to scene and space and uh, 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 environment. Uh, it, it's it's purely wordplay, which is sweet and awesome, and and worked works just fine. But in the context of radio, I usually like a little more uh, suggestion of locale and environment. Uh, than I felt like I got from this one. So while I enjoyed the Shakespeare that was there, and certainly the performances were fabulous, I, I had some real problems with the way uh, uh, it was abbreviated and and just the presence of Shakespeare in a radio format at all. Uh, those were my here. It it yeah, seemed yeah. 
in memory to me, now that I think about it, it seemed more like a table read. Yeah, yeah. Than uh, a fully produced audio play. Exactly. I don't and, remember and I think too much sound effects at all. No, very, very few. I think they, they did some people coming closer to the mic or moving away from the mic to have a sense of distance, but there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of anything. And that's exactly right. It, it felt like a table read. It felt like, you know, this was uh, one facet of a production and that uh, you didn't get the whole full experience from it. That's a, that's a good way to describe it, Pete. Okay. And and that's 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 the problem I had. All right. What about you, Paul? Crap. Well, after following up you two, this is this is going to be fun. Your opinion is still valid, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you I know what? Edit, right here. edit this so your opinion comes first. How about that? Put, put it this way. Yeah. Right here, this is what we're talking about at the beginning of the show where we say we don't always agree with each other. <laughs> well, brother, here this we is it. I've never been a huge fan of Shakespeare because... I never be. I could never get my brain around what the hell he was saying and what he was trying to say. I need a crib notes version of anything that he has, you know, to understand what he's doing. I mean, it doesn't mean I can't actually enjoy it. I've got the 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 Blu-ray of Henry V with uh, Kevin Branagh, and when he's doing the, uh, you know, once more into the breach, dear friends, once more into the breach, and he's doing all that, and then he's doing the whole thing about Saint Crispin's Day. I mean, I could follow most of that. The, the definitive a lot of it speech. I didn't, but then Beautiful. the show itself, I'm just kind of like, um, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm not, you know, in the Shakespeare because I never read it enough. I never studied it enough. I never had somebody help me study it and say, well, this is what he's talking about. And this means that and that. Oh. So I just kind of like, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, I'll pick up like every 20th word, it seems like, and hoping I'm putting it into the right context, you know? He said the. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I got that. Yes, the. I got that one. But That word? Yeah. But let's say, it. yes, it was very well acted. I like the announcers. I mean, I, they were doing it mostly in just straight, normal English. You know, and I like well, yeah, that. The announcers were, were just. Yeah. And I like that because I'm guessing there are probably enough people in the audience, husbands especially, who are sitting there going, oh, crap, I've got to listen to an hour of this thing. And <laughs> at least they had some kind of a clue what was going on when the announcers are telling them what's going on, you know, and then they pick up their 20th word like I kind of was and hoping they could piece it together. So. That was my problem with the thing. Like I said, it was recorded very well. Again, like you guys were saying, it did give you the feel of kind of like a table read because you expected a little bit more. A little more. Yeah, a little more. You know, some sound effects, a little, you know, some band music, cheering, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) But it was just kind of like they would do some singing, and that was about it. You know, moving in, moving out, stuff like this. But there wasn't like cannons going off or stuff like that. But, yeah, it was... Paul, have you ever seen uh, the movie Midsummer Night's Dream with Kevin Klein and Callista Flockhart and Michelle Pfeiffer and and Stanley Tucci? No. 1999 film, Midsummer Night's Dream, 
textbook, brilliant, beautiful production of Shakespeare with some stellar performers, and and it's a beautiful rendition, and I think very approachable. If 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 you're at all interested, I mean, I would I would like to get more into Shakespeare, but I would need. To do it, I, I I have a strange thing. I would need to do it with someone, like maybe my wife and I going, hey, that was, what did you think? She, and, honey, wake up. What did you think of that <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of thing? Well, let, let me but, recommend uh, also, let me recommend also my uh, uh, 2015 adaptation of Macbeth, uh, which we did in audio, fully cast, fully dramatized with full sound effects and music. Uh, I found this recording of shape, music in the time of Shakespeare, Beautiful uh, uh, 17th, 16th century stuff, um, <clears throat> which plays all the way through. And uh, um, another friend from high school uh, was uh, our narrator. He he didn't do the same kind of full narration that, that the guy in our show did tonight. He did mostly um, the entrances and exits and things like that and, and did a few uh, special announcements like the beginning of a scene. If I cut a lot of stuff out, he did an announcement to cover it. Uh, he has a beautiful voice. He has another one of those fantastic radio voices and didn't sound anything like I, he used to sound when he was in high school. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, guys, was a great he was kind of like this. And then it was Beth like has this. a lot of good sound effect options in there. That's a good choice for radio. So it, and it really worked well. Um, um, so uh, I recommend that. And I had I got help from a site called Sparknotes when I was working on the interpretation. Sparknotes has nearly every Shakespeare play, and they show it in two columns on a page. The first column is original Shakespeare on the left, and the right-hand column is what it means in today's English. That'll really help you if you're doing Sparknotes.com. Get that, everybody. Sparknotes. The spark notes. Oh, you're not catching every twentieth word like me, <laughs> so you can follow along. But that's how I. If it, I, and I'm going to look up the uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. I've seen a live production of Midsummer Night's Dream um, in New York, uh, uh, an outdoor production, uh, and, and it was really good and enjoyed that a lot. The um, the costuming was very minimal. Uh, the king wore a suit, a modern-day suit and tie, <laughs> and, and, and a paper crown. It was kind of... I bet the costuming was minimal on this one, too. Yeah. Just Whedon also did a great uh, Much Ado About Nothing with uh, his favorite actors, you know, uh, uh, Malcolm Reynolds. What's his name? Um, Greg was in there. Oh, Nathan Fillion? Nathan Fillion, right, uh, uh, and Amy Acker, and and all of the the the, the Firefly, uh, uh, Buffy, Angel uh, cadre, they were all in there, and it's just Nathan Fillion as Dogberry is is a sight to be seen. Uh, dude is hilarious. Um, so that's another one that I, I really enjoy as far as contemporized Shakespeare. Great. Yes. Okay, let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we are voting on, one, whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series, and B, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every Radio Aficionado's collection. And again, Pete, this was your freaking choice, so you go first. <laughs> <laughs> 
always with the judgment here, Get man. Oh my back, man. <laughs> oh, dude. Can't wait for you to tell what you really think of the show. Uh, <laughs> but I'm uh, waiting my turn. For me, for me, it was a really nice experience. I loved hearing uh, Sir Cedric Hardwick and Tallulah Bankhead uh, in these characters. Orson did a nice job, although he didn't. He stands out because I love Orson, but he he didn't really play the big, larger than life role. His was more of a romantic, youthful, romantic uh, character, but he did it well. Um, to my credit, I didn't notice when I and I listened to it twice. I didn't notice that there was not very little in the way of sound effects because it. I thought I felt that it moved very smoothly. Uh, the music was very nice. The singers were were terrific. Uh, um, the characters were all uh, individuals. Nobody's voice sounded like anybody else's voice, which you have a problem with sometimes with such a large cast. Uh, so they all stood out as individual voices. So overall, it worked well for me. Now, because this is a limited uh, series, uh, it's hard, to, and I've only listened to one of them, it's hard to say whether it's a true representative installment, although... It's got some heavy hitters. I would say uh, if if the others are anything like this, then you should listen to all of them. There, I said it. And is, is it a standalone <laughs> show? I would say yes again because of the, the, the cast, because of the performances, because of the way it was presented as, as a, a method of bringing Shakespeare to the masses. During, uh, obviously, the Depression, I would say yes. So uh, yes to both, and that's my vote. Dave? Cool. Yeah. I, I actually agree with you completely. Uh, uh, as much as as much as I have issues with with Shakespeare being uh, routed into the theater of the mind uh, in terms of if it's going to be done, let's do it this way. Uh, uh, let's get the heavy hitters. Let's get the good, solid performances. Uh, uh, and, yeah, I don't think anybody can listen to Shakespeare for three hours as a basically a table read, as we were discussing. So compacting it and, and shortening it to hit the high beats of the narrative and then having a, a, a chorus or a narrator bridge those gaps uh, quickly and efficiently, I think that works really well. So uh, in terms of a rep representative installment, I haven't listened to the others either, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm willing to bet it does. And this is absolutely a representation of one of the best Shakespeare adaptations of its time. Uh, uh, so definitely it belongs in your in your collection. So, yeah, I'd say yes to both. OK. Paulie, Alrighty Paul. Alrighty then. Well, it was well done. <laughs> it was really good. Um, I, and you can tell because, like you were saying about the individual voices, how it didn't all just kind of blend together. Um, I could tell exactly who was saying what. I felt like I was listening to something in Spanish because I really didn't catch any of it. But it was well done. I could tell that. But I myself probably wouldn't go back and listen to it unless I go to that. What was that? Spark.com? Spark Notes. Sparknotes.com. I'm going to go check that out after this show. I am going to read over some of the Shakespeare stuff, figure out what the hell he's talking about, then probably go back and listen to this episode again and go, huh, I understand, because I have a strange <laughs> feeling I will have a lot more appreciation for it when I know 
what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> but I mean, from a technical standpoint, all that stuff. Yeah. Shakespeare made up a lot of stuff. He, he created words. He created phrases that we use today um, um, still. And and when I read the uh, Spark Notes uh, interpretation of Macbeth, <clears throat> that prepared me for other plays that I wanted to do because I also did Othello a couple years ago. Uh, for audio and um, that was live though we didn't and we didn't get a good recording of it unfortunately but uh, we had the cast on the stage the, and and several of us did different characters and uh, our Othello was very very young very strong African-American who um, really brought a lot to the to the character um, but we did it in a small town that is best known for its winter uh, uh, populace and most of the people who would come to the play had already gone back to Michigan or or <laughs> or Iowa or wherever it is they came from. So we didn't get a lot of people showing up for the play. So I don't really know how good it was, other than I was proud of my cast. <laughs> but anyway, what I was what I was going for with that was the spark notes on Macbeth helped me better understand Othello because of the language that carried over from one play to the other. See, and I said, I am going to check that out because I do feel like there's part of me who's trying to be a little bit classier is missing if I don't understand Shakespeare. And it's one of those things that every time I have to deal with Shakespeare, I'm just sitting there feeling bad about myself <laughs> because I'm not getting it. You know, and so maybe if I go to this website and start understanding it, then I could just appreciate it. Because I mean, you listen to it, and I and the 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 poetry he uses and everything, I do understand, and I, it is beautiful sounding. But you know, I can hear, you know, um, Maurice Chevalier talking French. Go, oh God, that sounds great, you know. But I have no idea what the hell he's saying. Yeah, so. For people like me who aren't into Shakespeare, I'd have to give you a no vote on that. But when it comes to the production of it, I'll give, a, give it a thumbs up. So, All right. Fair enough. There we go. And wanting to appreciate Shakespeare, in my opinion, is half the battle. It is. It Definitely. leads True. you to actually appreciating Shakespeare. So very good. All right. So that's uh, two strong yeses and one and, and a half uh, half no. <laughs> Very good. Qualified. And see, and that's, a little you got. that's what we described at the beginning. We don't always agree with each other, but that's that's okay. Um, well, folks, this brings us to the end of episode 26, our season three premiere with Dave Robison, Paul Arbisi, and me, Pete Lutz. We're very happy you came back to us for a third season, and I'm looking forward to what you guys have to offer. Speaking of offerings, next month should be our annual holiday special, and it's Dave's choice. What do you have for us, Dave? Oh, oh, oh. I have, I have tasty goodness. I have, uh, <laughs> I have. You, you know, I loves me some noir, and I discovered Rocky Fortune, 
which is a character that Frank Sinatra uh, uh, gave voice to early in his career before his film uh, uh, career took off. Uh, in fact, uh, he, he did this while he was filming uh, in, from here to eternity. Uh, and so he frequently works from here to eternity into every one of his freaking episodes <laughs> of Rocky Fortune uh, somehow. It's sort of this cross-promotional thing. But there's this great uh, Christmas episode uh, called The Plot to Kill Santa Claus. Ooh. So I'm going to treat us all to a little uh, a little noir gumshoe goodness uh, uh, and some holiday cheer all at the same time. Outstanding. Sounds like a lot of fun, Dave. And that's about all the time we have. So Dave, Paul... Tell the masses what they need to know. Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. <laughs> Subscribe on Apple or any other podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and or Narada Radio Company. They want to play that way, eh? Okay. Yeah, that's that's um, Hand it off to please, you, big guy. Please follow us on the Twitter at old at Essentials Old. If <laughs> you want to suggest a future episode, write us at f six point three at gmail dot com. That's the letter F. The number six. The word point, and the number three at gmail dot com. Put the word essentials in the subject line. Ah, very good. <laughs> essentials yeah. is word. It's Soviet oh, Russia. Squirrel? Radio dramas you. It's yes. nice. It's nice. Remember, friends, we're always happy to hear from our listeners. So please do send us feedback and suggestions. And if you didn't catch our email when Paul spelled it out, rewind and listen again. Or just look for it in the show notes. Uh, and friends, hey. stick around after Oi. the show to hear a very special promo for a brand new holiday-related podcast. Whew, that's, hey. Tough to, hey. that's tough to maintain. This is Uncle Laszlo <laughs> saying, come to our restaurant. It's Blintz Week. Blintz Week. I love Blintz Week. <laughs> you can get him with cream cheese. You can get him with nice sweet cherries. You can get him with bacon. Just kidding. Chicken livers? Chicken livers, maybe? Okay, okay. It's time to wrap things up. <laughs> I'm serious. Please do stick around and listen to a promo. It's about a new uh, holiday podcast for the kids. You're going to love it. Join us next time for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now. Cheers, y'all. Nice talking to you. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. And the whole happy holidays ting. Jace, all of that. <laughs> that there ting there. That, that, that thing there. All right. Farewell to thee. Wait a minute. 63 Audio. This is Mutual. You're tuned into Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is all things horror on Tuesday Terrors.
Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day. Or find Tuesday Terrors in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.